This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. Hello and welcome to the best of Football CFB with me, Callum McFadden. This year has been an incredible year for Football CFB. Um, I've been able to interview so many incredible names in the game and it's just been an incredible experience. So to say thank you to you, the listeners, for supporting Football CFB. I've put together this best of show with some of the funniest stories and most telling insights from the year of CFB. This show will feature Joey Barton, Barry Ferguson, Henrik Larson, Graham Soonis, Stevie Nicol, Matt Letissier, Jock Brown and many others as well. I hope you enjoy this and I thank you again for all of your support in 2020 and I look forward to bringing you even more content in 2021. Happy New Year when it comes round and all the best. I never told you You scared of the vultures I never told you You scared of the ghosts Lockdown it's one of the things that I've been I've been doing listening to a lot of obviously football stuff and one of your podcasts is is up there I've got to be honest with you some of the people you've had on and obviously you had my son on a couple of weeks ago so he's been badgering me to listen to it so when I'm out running and uh, doing a bit of gym work I'm talking about the garden um, I've been listening to him so good stuff and I hope it continues to grow for yourself. Gerard, um, how do you think he's going to fare next season? The Celtic go for ten in a row. I know you're a boyhood Rangers fan. <laughs> um, you know what? If he gets the players, then he'll he'll. You know, he's got a mentality. He's got he's got a, a real strong personality, a real winning mentality. Um, and so, if he's given the funds to get players in, then I think it's a matter of time before Rangers win the Premier League. Now, will they do it? To stop the ten in a row, I guess isn't going to happen. Um, but if they back him, then then I think he he definitely would get Rangers back at the top of the pile again. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there's nobody alive that would be able to get your team, Morton, to the top <laughs> of the Premier League. The person hasn't been born yet. <laughs> the person's not been born yet. Mavericks <laughs> <laughs> in your career such as the Canio, Merson and Canu. Just how do yeah. you manage guys like that on a daily basis? I loved it. It was great fun. <laughs> it was a challenge. Every day was a challenge, you know. <laughs> Merson, Merson telling me he was going to Tony Adams' clinic because he'd been gambling, drinking. His missus caught me with a bird or say, I don't know. He said that. And like, Harry, I need to go to the clinic, Tony Adams. I've got all these problems. I said, oh, Merce, not a, we haven't got a game for two weeks. We went out the cup. We're top of the championship. We want to win the league. He's the best player in the division. He's my captain. I said, Merce, go to Tony's clinic, please. Get yourself sorted out. Come back ready for the last, for the last 15 games. We need you, you know, mentally right. Oh, thanks, Harry. He said, off he went. He told me he was at the clinic. A mate of mine was in Barbados. <laughs> Rung me up as I'd just been talking to Paul Merton on the beach. I said, it can't be. He's in Surrey at the Tony Adams' clinic. He said, he ain't. He's in Barbados. 
And uh, he came back in the following Wednesday. He had 10 days away. And I went, you're right, Mercy. He had the best suntan. It was January. It was <laughs> he had a bit, it was snowing. It was bitter everywhere, oh, raining, snow. We had everything. And he's so brown. I've never seen anything like it. I thought the show, Graham, with um, your good friend, Willie Morgan. And we've been talking about Scotland a, a lot recently. And the question I've got for you how close did you come to managing Scotland and looking back in your career? Is that something you wish you got the opportunity or wish you'd taken the opportunity to do? Well, I did actually go for an interview. Um, I met... Um, I'm quite, I think it was there. There was Campbell Ogilvy, who used to be secretary, and there was the president of the FA and somebody else. And we met in the Hilton Hotel at Edinburgh Airport. interview went very well. And I thought, I've got a chance for this job. In fact, I think I've got the job. So it was all going really well. I see, I thought I had the job. It was all going really well until we started talking about money. And then sort of their, um, their attitude changed a bit. But I still thought, you know, room for negotiation. I'm sure they'll give me this job. Anyway, I found out about three weeks later they'd given it to George Burley instead of me. I found out it was either on the radio or read it in the newspaper. So they didn't have the courtesy to come back and say, you know, thanks, but we decided to go somewhere else. I heard it either on a newspaper or on a radio station. Um, so I didn't get it then. And then I've, I've sort of... Noises were made to me subsequently over the years to, you know, if you want it, it's there for you. But it's been and gone for me. It's been and gone for me. And I think Scotland are in a difficult place right now. We've never we've never had enough players that have been good enough to make the market and get us into a World Cup or get us into a and it's a difficult job for anyone who's taken it. Has been for the last decade. Whoever's had that, it's been a very difficult job. In terms of your career, you retire. You have went into coaching, as I said in the intro. In terms of coaching, you've got ambitions to be a manager. Does it frustrate you at all that you're always linked with the Celtic job whenever it becomes available, or is that something you've just grown to get used to? That's something I have to do, to get used to. It's always been like that and I think it's, it's going to be that for a number of years coming as long as I'm I'm in this line of work that's always going to be like that uh, but I mean that's the way it is I'm so connected with Celtic that my name my name will always be mentioned there and I don't uh, how do you say that I don't uh, dislike it I mean I think it's it's unfortunate to be still be, be remembered uh, as a player and uh, hopefully as a person as well over there. So for me, it's it's not a burden. It's it's a blessing. And in terms of Celtic, Neil Lennon's doing a really good job there. This club are going for ten in a row. In the future, is that a job that one day you do want to do? Time will tell if it's going to be like that. It's impossible for me to give an answer that uh, doesn't leave anything for misinterpretation. So, time will tell if it's going to be like that. In terms of UK football, you've been linked with a few jobs down in England. Is managing in the UK something that's high up on your agenda? Yeah, I think it's a culture that suits me. It's a culture that I'm uh, accustomed to. I think it's a language that... I have decent grasp of so yes of course that's that's uh, one of the areas I'm I'm looking but it's tough to get in you need to know the right people or the right agents so uh, but yeah I have a few things a few projects 
uh, and proposals. Uh, but I just feel at the moment that's not right for me. Uh, but if there comes something in the future in in UK or in Holland or in uh, Spain, I will always uh, listen, uh, and then I will make make up my mind. There has to be be the right one for me, and I have to feel that uh, that we are on the same wavelength, the owners and uh, and the people in charge, because I think that's very important. Uh, after the game is all finished, maybe ten minutes after the game. Little Albert, who was the kit man, of course, at Manchester United, knocked on the door and said, Gaffer's waiting on you. Steve, could you go in your own first? Your staff will welcome in 10, 15 minutes' time. So my staff heard that, no problem. And I went and I've got this box of wine. So Sir Alex opens it, looks at it, makes a little funny remark. And he said, I've got a letter for you. And I said, you've got a letter for me? He says, do you know Ernie Hills, the golfer? So well, I don't know Ernie Hills, the golfer, but of course, <laughs> I've heard of Ernie Hills, the golfer. He's one of the best in the world. He says, well, I was I was with Ernie the other night and we were laughing at the fact you brought me that wine. So he presents me a letter and asks me to read it. And it was Ernie L saying the wine I was going to be drinking in Sir Alex's office shortly was come from his vineyard. There was a case of wine that would be sent to my home address next week and um, and to wish us all the, all the very best for the for the rest of the season and be watching the results with interest. And um, so it was just a remarkable experience. In come the staff. And as you normally know, managers will sit with other managers maybe for half an hour and, and leave. I think it was over two hours before our team coach left <laughs> Old Trafford. And um, Sir Alex had family of ours in and friends and stopped as he left the stadium to, to greet my family from Glasgow. And he he treated us with the utmost respect. Because you got sacked and Pardew was given the job um, and... We all presumed it, Pardew was from nowhere. He'd not he'd been Southampton manager before. We were like, this is fucking like Dennis Wise. This is job for the boys. So I weren't happy at all. And I'm, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So I'm like, hey, I'm not having this. I'm not having this cunt when he comes in. I've heard the stories about him thinking he behaves like a player, fucking driving Ferraris, all this nonsense. I'm like, last thing I need is another titter of a manager. You know, all these Galacticos, Basingwe, Julio Cesar, and you're just like, this is a fucking mess. This is going to get worse. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. He, he's going to get the wrong um, group together in the dressing room. Um, and he didn't like that. He didn't He didn't want me there. He was trying to force me out of the club multiple times, and I just refused to go, refused to do it. Um, made it very, very difficult for him. I think, you know, in my book, I write about going in his office, locking the door on him and, and, and um, settling it in, in a physical um, manner, which he didn't want to do. And for me, that was a way of, of, of resolving the conflict. And, and, and luckily for me, um, he didn't want to do it that way because it probably wouldn't have ended up great for either of us. But, but at that moment in time, it was, it was the only way I thought I could deal with it. He was known for Bobo's going to get you and diving into tackles. Would he dare go near Henrik Larson in training? <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, to be fair to Bobo, is that uh, he just singled everybody out. So, it, you know, it wasn't, he, he, he wasn't fearful of anybody. And uh, Henrik used to wear, because he had the serious injury, um, broke his leg, didn't he? And so, so Henrik, Henrik used to... Uh, for a lot of the training sessions, he used to wear these these special shin pads, 
And certainly when Bobo was up against him, sometimes he didn't wear them. But when Bobo was training, he, uh, he certainly wore his shin pads and his studs when Bobo trained because Henrik could dish it out as well. But Bobo was absolutely fearsome. I mean, he was, a, he was 100 kilos, but he was, he was 100 kilos of muscle. He was absolutely ripped. And I, I tell you, I, he, he was great to, to share a dressing room with. He used to lash out indiscriminately at, 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 at times in the tunnel at halftime. He'd they hit anybody. As I say, so uh, you just you know don't stay. You wouldn't be staying in his area when he was coming off a pitch. I mean, I had one deal with a very prominent player. We got him, um, but we might not have got him um, because he was coming from abroad and uh, uh, he had animals that had to go into quarantine. <laughs> and didn't realise that. And I was I was actually abroad, phoning back to Peter McLean, press guy, Peter, <laughs> where where can he quarantine animals in Glasgow? Where the where you talking about? I just like that. You need to find out. <laughs> I I still have never quite forgiven him for for Arsenal. <laughs> he still every time I see him, he. he he says, what will it make you do to stop, stop you calling me Judas? And it's like, well, I'll get a time machine and, and don't kiss the Arsenal badge when you <laughs> score against us, which is what he did, unfortunately. But, you know, no, no one resented it. He came to us from a, from a team called Greenwich Borough. And the thing with Ian Wright, it's just like Jamie Vardy. He does things, or did things, that he wasn't meant to do, but he'd never had it coached out of him. So like, when you see Jamie Vardy when he first came through at Leicester, he came into football late through non-league teams like Stockbridge Steels and then Halifax. But, so no one had ever told him that he wasn't supposed to get the ball down and try and chip the goalkeeper from 40 yards. No one ever told him that he wasn't supposed to take the ball to the corner flag and dribble it around uh, three players and, and score goals. And that was what Ian Wright was like. He was just an exciting, instinctive, instinctive player. Who's I knew if, I was, if, if any chance fell to me, I just had this unbelievably strong feeling that it didn't matter how difficult the chance was, the ball was going to end up in the back of the net and I was going to be the last person to score the last goal of the deal. Uh, and when that happened in the 88th minute, it was just the, the most incredible feeling. Um, and uh, the, the adrenaline rush was just... And the noise from the, the stadium was just like twice as loud as any noise I'd heard a goal celebrated at that stadium ever before it was just it was just ridiculous and um and i remember we we actually had another attack just after that chris marsden had a shot which looked like it was going to go in and uh keepers just tipped it over the crossbar and um and i can remember i went i was jogging across the the box to get a tightly corner and I, and I just had this urge i just want to go and give the goalie a cuddle for making such a good save i didn't want Mazin to score the last goal <laughs> I restrained from doing that and then as I'm jogging over to the corner I'm thinking I don't want to put this in the box someone might score I want to be the last person to score the deal so uh, so I put the ball in the corner spot waited a little bit and uh, and then Wayne Bridge come running down from left back and uh, and I took a short corner so I didn't put it in the box and as I took the corner to Bridgie the ref blew the final whistle <laughs> so I was like yeah that do <laughs> A massive part of Football CFB has been the theme song Until I Found a Rose by The Hibble and The Hum 
As a special treat for you, the listeners, the band have agreed to perform live for you on this episode of CFB. So without further ado, here are the Howl and the Hum with Until I Found a Rose. Um... Living in my head, the lay low. 